Stay with me. So this last weekend was uh, the Masters Tournament, and uh, it's one of my favorite tournaments to watch, and it's one of the tournaments, it's considered a major, and it's considered a tournament by professional golfers, like one, if not the tournament, that they want to win. There's something very special about winning it. And this year, the man who won it was a 25-year-old named Scotty Scheffler. And uh, in an interview that I read, he said this, and I wanted to read it to you because it uh, caught my attention for a number of reasons, but there was one word in particular that he used a number of times that caught my attention. But he said this, the reason why I play golf, this is after he won and he's being interviewed, he, um, I mean, you're basking in like the glory of winning this prestigious tournament. I think he took home $2.7 million for winning the tournament. Um, and, and so he's basking in this moment where all the eyes of like the sports world are on him, celebrating him, worshiping sort of his win. And he says this in his interview, the reason why I play golf is I'm trying to glorify God and all that he's done in my life. So for me, my identity isn't a golf score. Like Meredith, Meredith is his wife, like Meredith told me this morning, if you win this golf tournament today, if you lose this golf tournament by 10 shots, if you never win another golf tournament again, she goes, I'm still going to love you. You're still going to be the same person. Jesus loves you and nothing changes. All I'm trying to do is glorify God and that's why I'm here and that's why I'm in this position. To be honest with you, I cried like a baby this morning. I was so stressed out. I didn't know what to do. I was sitting there telling Meredith, I don't think I'm ready for this. I'm not ready. I don't feel like I'm ready for this kind of stuff. And I'm just overwhelmed. She told me, who are you to say that you are not ready? Who am I to say that I, I know what's best for my life? And so we talked about, so what we talked about is that God is in control and that the Lord is leading me. And if today is my time, it's my time. And if I shot 82 today, you know, somehow I was going to use it for his glory. It's amazing. I love when I hear professional athletes or people who have the spotlight and have the glory and the fame, like, uh, project it on God. And so I'm, I, I was amazed reading this. But the word that stuck out to me was the word glory. He used it a number of times. Like, I feel like my role in this is to glorify God, to bring glory to God, even if I lose. Like, if I win, I bring glory to God. If I lose, I bring glory to God. And that word just stuck out to me. And what, is that, what does that word mean? I mean, if you look up the definition, it's to bring praise, to bring honor, to bring recognition from a place of love. And so, in other words, what he's saying is he's saying, I want my success, like, to bring praise and honor to God. Like I want what I can do or accomplish, even my failures, I want, to, I want people to see God in them. I want to reflect God in my life, all areas of my life, my wins and my losses. And it, 
as I, as I thought about that word glory and as I, as I read this interview, it reminded me of, of Jesus' prayer in John 17. And this is when he, he knows what is about to happen and he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for future believers. And then he gets to this point where he prays that he would be glorified. It's in John 17. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 with you. And listen to how many times Jesus uses that word glory. After this, so he's prayed for uh, the disciples. And he gets to this point in his prayer, and it says, After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you, for you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. It's a lot of words. It's a lot, like, he's using the word glory a lot, but Jesus in these these final moments, is praying to his father, and he's saying, look, I have done what you've asked me to do, and I've done it because I want to bring you glory. I've, I've done everything to show people the father. And I am, I'm about to, to now go to the cross. I'm about to go die an excruciating death. I'm, ab- I'm, I'm about to go suffer in extraordinary ways and now is the time, Father, to glorify me. What, what does this mean? What is he saying? What's really interesting is at the beginning of this prayer, he says, the hour has come. And if you study any of the Gospels or read through the Gospels, you'll notice that there are a number of times where Jesus says, the time has not come. Like, hey, we want you to do this. We want you to perform this miracle. And he's like, nope, I'm not, I can't do that yet. Nope, the time has not come. But here we get to this moment where Jesus says for the first time, nope, the hour has come. The time has come. And when he says the hour, he's talking about his death. He's talking about his crucifixion, this hideous, painful death on the cross. In, in verse 5, he says, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. He, he, he uses that past tense, I had. In other words, he doesn't have it. And this actually makes sense because in Philippians 2, we are told that, that Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself of his glory. That when he stepped out of heaven and out of the glory of heaven, he became a human. Like you could take the sunglasses off and you could look Jesus in the face. And so Jesus here is saying, like, Father, I want the glory that I once had with you. And um, I've emptied myself of this glory. Like when I came, when I, when I, when I wrapped myself in flesh, I, Jesus was emptied 
of his, of his, of his glory. And now he's, he's about to even empty himself further with the shedding of his blood. And he says to the Father, I, you know, um, glorify me in your presence and, f- and, and, bring, and, and bring glory that I once had uh, again. So the question is, when, when? When does he want this, this glory again? And you, you, it's probably easy to think, well, he dies and then he gets glorified. Like the glory, like the honor, all that, uh, all the, the love that he wants to demonstrate to the Father, the obedience is all about the end, like finishing, completing, being glorified once he dies. And yet, that's not what uh, the text says. He's in essence saying, Father, glorify me now. Glorify me at this hour. Not, not after, but now. And we know this because if you go to John 12, verse 23, Jesus actually says, the hour has come now for the Son of Man to be glorified. And this is what, this is amazing. This is what it means. Jesus is saying, look, I want to be glorified in the cross. He's not saying, I want to be glorified after the cross. I want to be glorified in the cross, in the suffering, in the shedding of my blood, in the agony. I want to be glorified. In other words, Jesus Christ's ultimate glory, the ultimate expression of God's love, which is God's, lo- God's glory or God's love, is not after the shame of the cross. It is the shame of the cross. It is the demonstration of that sacrifice, that suffering, the shedding of his blood, the pain. That he is, he is showing us the heart of God. The Bible said, you know, Jesus said, no greater love is, that, is this than a friend gives up his life, you know, for, for his friend, just to paraphrase it. And you think about, if it was just about death, if it was just about the transaction, like somebody's got to die, somebody's got to bleed, someone's got to pay the price, why not just quickly execute Jesus? Why the agony? Why crucifixion? Why not come a few hundred or a few thousand years later and get the guillotine if it's just about the death? Why the cross? I mean, take a second, look up at that cross and picture a man nailed to it. And for hours, for hours, the smell would overtake you. The, the, the gasping for air, the sounds, the stench. Why all of it? And how could Jesus say that that brings glory? The cross, crucifixion, is a symbol, is a, is a symbol of our utter despair. Of how evil and broken the world is. How, how treacherous sin is. The ugliness of the cross, the ugliness of the suffering, 
symbolizes the death that sin is. It symbolizes just how, how led astray we can become, how, how, how evil we can be to other humans. And when Jesus embraced it, he wanted us to see the ugliness of our sin. There's nothing pretty about it. The cross is meant to be a reminder of not just the sacrifice, but the ugliness of death and sin. And that it was through that cross that Jesus defeated its powers. And the agony and the suffering and the, and the length and all that stuff, you know, I was thinking about that and I was just like, why not just quick and easy and why go through all of that? And I, you know, I was, I was thinking about, um, and I'm not sure it really fits super well, but I couldn't come up with anything better. But, you know, I've had cars break down and I call a friend and they come and they pick me up. I might be 20, 30 minutes away and I go, wow, like the length, like the, the sacrifice that took for you to come and pick me up, like, that to me is an act of love. The lengths that you went to, to, to help me is, um, is an act of love. But um, it's one thing to get picked up 15 minutes away from your buddy. It's another thing for someone to go across the country and pick you up. And a number of years ago, I was living in Seattle, and I was terribly homesick, and I said, I got to get out of here. And I called my dad, and I said, Dad, you got to come. I got to get out of here. Come pick me up. Um, and my dad didn't say, well, you made the decision to move there or find your way home. He said, okay. And he got on a plane, and he flew to Seattle, and we drove a small Jeep Wrangler with a U-Haul behind it through the mountains. It was terrifying. Um, it's nice when a friend picks you up in the area. But when your father goes to extraordinary lengths to fly across the country to pick you up, uh, it means even more. Like the lengths that someone goes, the depth of someone's sacrifice, sort of you feel that, don't you? Like when you recognize that people went even further or the extent of their sacrifice, the act of, you know, that love, uh, it, it's meaningful in, in, a, in a big way. And I think, I think Jesus didn't take the easy way out. Meaning, hey, uh, dad, you know, I know you asked me to, to be born in the first century, um, but the Romans, they're pretty good at killing people and shaming people, and their methods are pretty bad. If we waited a few, like, thousand years, and maybe I was French, um, you know, it's a little quicker. Um, but I wonder if, if, the lengths that Jesus went through on the cross, shouldn't that, like the suffering, the pain, you know, The Passion of the Christ, that movie, is one of the, the most realistic uh, depictions of, of 
Jesus' suffering, and it's incredibly difficult to watch. But I encourage when a person is of age um, to watch that because there's something, and it's hard, and there's moments that I have to like look away, but um, there's something about that, that when you see it and you go, that man did that for me? That man went through that for me? He died that kind of death for me? He never, he never took out, the, you know, he didn't take the easy way out for me. The cross is also the ultimate demonstration of God's love for you. I mean, when you recognize um, that Jesus would endure such horror as an innocent man on our behalf, it says something, doesn't it? I mean, what drives a man to such lengths? What drives a man to such sacrifice? Only love could propel someone to do such a thing. Name one other motivation that would compel a man to do what Jesus did. It wasn't getting paid. It wasn't money. What else? Have you ever thought about that? It wasn't for like revenge. Like who is he? You know, I'm going to die like for the revenge, you know, so I win or revenge. Like that doesn't make any sense. What compel, like what could compel a man to die like that for you and for me? It's only love. We call it Good Friday because in its misery and its darkness, it is the ultimate expression of God's love for us. And that's good news for us. So the cross, on one hand, represents the horrors of everything mankind is capable of. And it shows us our sin and our need for a savior. And yes, on one hand, it shows the ugliness of our sin. But stronger than that, it represents the glory. It represents the relentless, amazing love that God has for you and for me. Let's pray. Jesus, we can, we can never say thank you enough for your sacrifice. And so all we can do tonight is just humbly receive. Receive the gift that you went through the horrors of Roman crucifixion to defeat the power of death and sin and to demonstrate boldly the depth of your love for us. And I, I just pray for those in this room, God, or those watching. Maybe they've never felt like anybody's loved them. Maybe they've never recognized themselves as lovable. I pray, God, that tonight the walls, you would break down the walls. That maybe for the first time they could... They could they could believe that they are lovable, that you love them. 
that this day, what we celebrate this day, Good Friday, is good because you have demonstrated that you love us despite our sin. And I pray, God, that, that we would live lives that gl bring glory to you. That we reflect this amazing message of the, the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in resurrection. So Jesus, we, we want to offer our thanks and we give you our words as we sing. But as we do, we want to give you our hearts. And may we receive the gift. The gift that you died to give us on the cross. Salvation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.